So last week we brought to a conclusion our series on the subject of simplicity and how to reduce the chaos and confusion in our lives so that we can create more space for God to do His work in us and change us into the kinds of people that He created us to be. And so this morning we sort of continue in that vein with a new series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, a biblical description of exactly what that character is. If we're going to create space for God to have uh, His way in us, what should the final product be? What should we, in fact, look like when God moves in our lives to change who we are? And so that brings us to this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And there's two passages of Scripture I want us to consider as we begin this morning. Uh, The first Uh, comes from Matthew chapter 7, which is known as the sermon, or the tail end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this lengthy uh, discourse that Jesus gives on a variety of subjects. But in uh, Matthew 7, verse 15, he says this to the crowd that's gathered. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now turn with me, if you will, to our focal passage, which we will come back to again and again over the coming weeks, taken from the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. And with Jesus' words that we just read still ringing in our ears, hear these words of the Apostle Paul who writes, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Well, it was 50 years ago yesterday that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin became the first human beings to land on the moon and walk on its surface. While the mission was a stunning success, it is now well documented that the final moments of that landing were filled with risk and drama, and there were moments when it looked like it wasn't going to happen. As they neared the lunar surface, they could peer out the small window that they had access to and could see that the chosen location, the predetermined site to which the computer was guiding them, was actually a giant crater filled with boulders, and they couldn't land there. The spacecraft would crash, and they'd never get off the surface again. And so in the final moments, with just a few feet left to go, Neil Armstrong took manual control of the spacecraft and flew it to another spot, just picked out a place. 
and with just a few seconds of fuel remaining was able to set it down safely and now we look back upon it and celebrate it as the success that it was. It was a remarkable feat of bravery and skill and ingenuity. But I think what is equally remarkable is the decades and decades and years of training that led up to that moment. You see, Neil Armstrong was a test pilot. And he had spent years of his life, thousands and thousands of hours, training in all kinds of aircraft, in all kinds of imaginable and some unimaginable conditions, acquiring the skills necessary to handle a machine like that. And over the years, he had quietly accumulated the skills necessary. So then in that fateful moment, when he found himself with very little time to think, he was simply able to drop back on what he had learned over those long years of training. Sometimes it takes a lifetime of repeated practice to become who we are. Now I want you to keep that fact in mind because we're going to come back to it in a moment, but for now I want us to turn our attention to the words that Jesus speaks to us in the seventh chapter of Matthew's gospel. Jesus said that you can recognize someone by the fruit they bear. In other words, you can tell what someone is really like just by watching them and observing what they do. Their outward behavior is a reflection of their inward character. You don't have to guess who the good pilot or the good astronaut is. He's the one who knows how to safely land the spacecraft on the moon. You don't have to guess who the good surgeon is. She's the one who time after time is able to complete the procedure and bring the patient back to wellness. You don't have to guess who the good mechanic is. He's the one who time after time knows how to put the engine back together. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Watch their outward behavior and you'll figure out who they are on the inside. Of course, when Jesus said those words, he wasn't really talking about our professional qualifications. If you were here last week, you will remember that we talked about the distinction between what we called resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are those skills that we bring to the marketplace, our ability to get things done, to accomplish tasks, to meet goals. Neil Armstrong had great resume virtues when he figured out how to land that spacecraft on the face of the moon. But what I find interesting is that Jesus had very little to say about our resume virtues. I'm sure Jesus cares what we do for a living, but he wasn't primarily focused on that. But he had lots and lots and lots to say about our eulogy virtues. He didn't call it that. But he was fundamentally concerned with our character, with who we are, the kinds of people that we are becoming. That's what he's talking about when he says, by their fruit, you will know them. If you want to know someone's true character, then just watch them. In time, their true nature will reveal themselves. If a person's inner nature is rightly formed and rightly shaped, then the outward behavior will follow suit. And if it isn't, well, that will become obvious too in time. In Matthew 7, Jesus 
uses an agricultural metaphor to make the point. He talks about recognizing trees by the kind of fruit they bear. It's a fairly obvious point and yet a profound one at the same time. It doesn't matter how hard you try and how hard you work, you will never be able to pick grapes from a thorn bush. It simply isn't going to happen. Because a thorn bush, by its very nature, will only and always produce thorns. It's embedded in the plant's DNA. Notice how this works. The seed gives rise to the fruit. If you don't have the right kind of seed, you won't get the right kind of fruit. But you can also work backwards. Once you look at the fruit, you can figure out what kind of seed you have. See grapes? You know you're dealing with grape seeds. It's obvious by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now those words lie behind what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, which we read a moment ago, is all about the kind of people we are becoming. He didn't use this language, but, but in, we would say that Paul was talking about our eulogy virtues here. About the kinds of people we are, about our true nature, about our character. Who are we? Do our lives bear good fruit? And what does that say about the kind of seed that is in us? That's the question we want to consider this morning. Now, in order to do so, we need to look at the context and the background behind these words. Uh, the book of Galatians is actually a letter, like most of the New Testament, that was written by one person to another group of people. In this case, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Christians who live in an area, and scholars still debate exactly where uh, he was writing to, but, but it's known generally as the region of Galatia. And so uh, he's writing to help them answer a problem or, or, or a question, deal with a problem that seems to have arisen. There appears to be an argument, uh, a division, a conflict that's happening within this congregation. The argument had to do with what it takes to become the kinds of people God wants us to be. These Christians knew that God had called us to the way of salvation. They were Christians after all. These are people who had already responded to the gospel. Paul's not writing here to a group of pagans. He's writing to a group of believers. And they understood that they were to respond to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of that gospel is the fact that Jesus came to save sinners. That's the ground of everything we are and everything we do. But how exactly does that salvation come to be expressed in our lives? And there seem to be at least two schools of thought that were at work here. One said that, that salvation comes about through strenuous moral effort. In other words, they believed that we are saved by working hard at being good. And in this case, being good was understood to mean living in strict obedience to the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament, there was a rigorous set of laws that governed just about every aspect of life. And this school of thought said that if you want to be good, if you want to be saved, then you got to work hard at keeping the law. And in the case of the Galatian Christians, that was symbolized in the act of circumcision. Now, I doubt many of us 
spent a sleepless night last night worrying about circumcision. But it was a burning issue for them in that day. Was it necessary to be circumcised? And the reason that question mattered was because circumcision was symbolic of the law. And so to be circumcised was to suggest that you were now submitting yourself once again to the entirety of the law and were committed to keeping it in its fullness. And so people were being urged to be circumcised as a way of showing that they were willing to work hard to be saved. That was one school of thought. There was another school of thought that said salvation doesn't come about through strenuous moral effort. It comes about only by the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true. No one would argue with that. That is the basis of the gospel. We are not saved by our efforts. To say that you and I can save ourselves by working hard at being good is to suggest that if we work hard enough, we really can get grapes from a thorn bush. That if we just strive hard enough, commit more to do better, that somehow or another we can eventually bring ourselves to the right outcome. We can't. Until we deal with the seed that is within us, the outward fruit will never be accurate or correct. And so this other group of Christians was urging the Christians in Galatia to give up on this idea that they had to work hard at being good. The problem was that they took it to the extreme. And they said that because salvation is entirely by grace, then you and I can become passive about it. We don't have to do anything We're not expected to put forth any effort. We can just let it unfold. But if you've ever planted a garden, you know the problem with that way of thinking. To be sure, you've got to start with the right kind of seed. If you want tomatoes or corn, you better plant tomatoes or corn. But just because you go out one day and shove some seeds in the ground doesn't mean that you can now sit back and wait for the tomatoes and the corn or whatever it else you've planted. you got to work at it. There's fertilizer to apply, water to give, weeds to pull, pests to run off. There's continual attention and work that has to be done in order to maintain the garden and keep everything healthy. Then and only then will it begin to bear fruit. you got to start with the right kind of seed. Once the seed is planted, there is something required of us to bring about the right kind of fruit. Jesus says that's how it is when it comes to following him. If we are truly serious about being his disciples, then we will strive to do what he says. We will put forth the effort that it requires from us. Salvation comes as a free gift. We can never earn it, achieve it, accomplish it, deserve it. It's given freely. But if we're going to experience the benefits of that salvation, then we're going to have to work at it some. In another book in the New Testament, the book of Philippians, also a letter written by the Apostle Paul, he says there that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice he doesn't say we should work for our salvation. We can't. But he does say we should work out 
our salvation. In other words, we've got to put into practice the virtues and the characteristics of God's redeemed life. Once he puts his seed in us, we've got to nurture it. There is something that's going to be asked of us. And that brings us to what is going to be the central passage of Scripture for us over these next few weeks. The book of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23. I share it with you again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the characteristics of someone whose life has truly been surrendered to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. This is a picture of what salvation looks like. If God has had his way with us, these are the fruit that our lives will begin to bear. And over these next several weeks, we're going to look at them one by one and unpack them a little bit. But this morning, I want us to consider all of the fruit together as a way of introducing ourselves to the subject. And I want to make three broad observations as we begin this discussion. First, to somewhat repeat what we've already said. According to the text in the book of Galatians, there are only two kinds of seed that we can carry. And everything we do in life, Hear this again, there are two kinds of seed that we can carry and everything we do in life will result from one or the other. On the one hand, there is the seed of the sinful nature. In the original Greek, it refers to it as the seed of the flesh, which is not a reference to the physical nature of our existence. The physical nature of our existence is a part of God's design and He has declared that it is good it is a reference instead to our disobedient nature. When the Bible in this case talks about the, the seed of the flesh, it's talking about that part of us that is naturally inclined to rebel against God. And when that seed takes root in us, it will give rise to a certain kind of fruit. And just a few verses earlier, verse 19, the Apostle Paul gives us a list of what that fruit looks like. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. When we act out of our sinful nature, when we allow the seed of the flesh to take root in us, that's what it's going to look like. And so whenever we see those kinds of acts giving forth in our lives, we know which kind of seed we're acting from. We're acting from the seed of our sinful nature. But the other kind of seed that's available to us only through the grace of Jesus Christ is the seed of the Holy Spirit. And that seed is implanted in us when we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge that He is Lord, and then when we invite Him into our lives and give Him control, it is then that we are put into a right relationship with God. And when this happens, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, takes up dwelling within us and gives us His nature. He puts his seed in us and when we operate out of that power it will lead to a very different kind of lifestyle namely it will give rise to what we just read 
the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that resemble God's nature. That's why the subtitle of this series is Living a Life That Looks Like Jesus. As we will come to see as this series unfolds, the fruit that Paul is describing for us here is a description of the life that Jesus lived. And when His seed is in us, it will give rise to the same kinds of characteristics in us. Let's not overlook this point. There are two kinds of seed. The world we live in wants to give us limitless options. There's really only two. We're either operating out of the seed of the sinful flesh or we're operating out of the seed of the Holy Spirit, one or the other. And if you want to know which seed is operating, just look at the outward behavior. It will tell you very clearly. When our lives bear bad fruit, it is the seed of the flesh. When our lives bear good fruit, it is the seed of the Holy Spirit. And so we must understand that the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost about God's salvation. It is not about us trying harder to do better. The fruit of the Spirit do not take shape in our lives because we redouble our efforts to be good. They come about first and foremost only because Jesus first transforms us if we are operating out of our own power it will in time give rise to the acts of the flesh because that's the only other seed available to us but if we come to terms with our sinful nature and invite Jesus to take up dwelling within us he implants his spirit within us and that seed takes root this is a series first and foremost about salvation and if we haven't dealt with that in our lives it needs to be dealt with first because nothing else will make sense otherwise second we need to point out that these fruit are referred to in the singular and not the plural now forgive me for being a grammar Greek for a moment this morning but but Paul doesn't talk about the fruits plural of the Spirit he talks about the fruit as though there's only one that's because these things together make up the characteristic life of the redeemed person in other words the fruit of the Spirit are not multiple choice I don't get to decide that I'm going to work on joy and yet ignore patience. I don't get to choose kindness and forget self-control. There can be no peace where there's not also faithfulness or kindness. These things all hang together. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It's a different thing there. He lists out all of the various gifts and says not everybody has all of them, but everybody has at least one of them. And so our calling there is to identify which gift God has placed in us and nurture it, develop it, and bring them together so that together we function as the church. But here it's a different matter. The fruit of the Spirit are given to all of us And the intent, the assumption is that all of these characteristics will in one way or another begin to take shape in our lives. These things all hang together. That is because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Trinity is a whole. God, you see, God is a unity of persons. 
And if our personhood is to be whole and unified the way he designed us to be, then we have to thoughtfully and intentionally tend to all of these fruit. That's why we're going to unpack them one by one. Otherwise, we will remain incomplete and we will not have yet reached full maturity in Christ. There is an assumption, an expectation even. That if we are nurturing the seed of God's Holy Spirit, then all of these things will in time, in one way or another, find appropriate expression in our lives. Which leads us to the third and final point and kind of takes us back to where we began. Nurturing the fruit of the Spirit is a continuous and ongoing effort. It is not something that we do once and then forget about it. Salvation is a singular moment. It is something that comes to us the moment, the instant that we open ourselves up to God's Holy Spirit. The moment that we yield ourselves to Him, then He declares before God that we are righteous. It is done. It is complete. There is nothing left for us to do to make ourselves right before God. But when it comes to realizing the real life effects of that salvation, that requires ongoing effort. We have to pay attention to the habits that we form, to the patterns that we follow, to the day-by-day, even hour-by-hour rhythms that our lives fall into. We will not bear the fruit of the Spirit simply because we come and sit in church for one or two hours a week. It will happen only if we are intentional and deliberate about developing God's patterns in our day-to-day lives over the long haul of time. That's why we began with the story of Neil Armstrong. How was it that in that critical moment, he was able to do what still seems like an impossible task. It was because he didn't wait until he crawled into that lunar excursion model to try to figure out how to fly the darn thing. He'd been preparing for this for years, little by little, hour by hour, day by day, applying himself to the skills necessary to fly such a machine. And those skills accumulated over time to bring him to the place where he was able to just almost drop back to muscle memory and just do what came natural to him. But it only came natural to him because he'd been preparing for it. Or think about, uh, change the illustration, think about a professional athlete, whatever your favorite sport is. One of the reasons we're drawn to athletics is because we watch these, these men and women on the field of play and they perform these amazing physical feats and they make it look so easy. Watch a basketball game and you think you can go sign up for the NBA. Anybody can do that, right? Watch a professional golfer. You want to run out to the golf course. It looks so easy, but it isn't. The reason it looks easy is because they have spent years conditioning and training and preparing themselves little by little, skill by skill. And in the moment when there isn't even time to think, their bodies just react. They drop back to muscle memory. It's because over the long haul, they have been preparing themselves to perform those amazing feats. 
In the same way, if we're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit in any given moment of our lives, it's going to depend greatly upon whether or not we've been paying attention to the habits and the patterns that we have formed prior to that moment. When Jesus was being nailed to the cross, He looked to His Father and prayed over the people who were executing Him. And you remember what He said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, how is it that Jesus was able to do that? How could he bring himself to offer forgiveness to the people who are taking his own life, even in the moment that they are doing it? Well, it's not because in that moment, Jesus suddenly decided to perform a random act of spiritual heroism. It was instead because Jesus had spent an entire life cultivating a posture of obedience to the Father. Moment by moment, day by day, he had been doing what God had sent him to do. And so when the moment came, Jesus was able to bear forth the fruit of a life that had been lived in faithfulness. In fact, it's really not odd that Jesus was able to forgive them in that moment. What would have been odd is if he hadn't, because his entire life had been leading to this very moment. That's how the fruit of the Spirit come to find expression in our lives. Not because in an instant we squint hard and try better, but because we've been preparing ourselves day by day. So, If we want joyful lives, for example, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit, we'll talk about it next week. If we want joyful lives, how does that happen? Well, it happens when we begin every day by pushing back against the spirit of negativity and cynicism that so easily creeps into our way of thinking, and before we know it, it's taken over, and we become critical of everything. And I can promise you, when a critical spirit comes to dominate our lives, there will be no joy. So if you want joy, start there. Start by pushing back against every negative thought that comes into your head. Every time you're tempted to speak a critical word, grab it and ask whether or not that is of God. You want to be a person of peace? I would highly recommend that you not wait until you find yourself in a moment of great conflict. Because if that's the first time you give thought to peace, you're probably going to come up short. Instead, you need to get in the habit of seeking peace and reconciliation every day with the people who make up your everyday life. You might want to start with those crazy folks called family that share your household with us. The ones that drive you crazy. That's where peacefulness starts. Or what about your coworker who's radically different from you and drives you crazy? What about the friends and neighbors that you tend to push away Seek peace with them day by day by day. And then when the moment comes and the conflict erupts, you will have been preparing yourselves to be a person of peace. You want kindness? It comes from making kind choices in the small things that make up our daily lives. You want self-control? Start with the simple things of life and work your way up from there. Pick any one of these fruit of the Spirit and you will discover 
that for it to find full expression, it has to be a repeated effort. Start with the little things. Practice it over and over and in time. The fruit will come forth. Jesus said you can tell who a person truly is just by looking at their outward behavior. Look at the fruit of their lives. It will tell you the kind of seed they are operating from. Doesn't take a detective to figure it out. You just got to pay attention. And so we begin by asking the question, what kind of seed is in us? If we only have the seed of the sinful spirit, then guess what kind of fruit we're going to bear. But if we've invited the Holy Spirit to take up residence within us, then He places His seed there, and in time, that will bear fruit. Then we've got to pay attention to all of them, examine our lives, and figure out what's missing Where are we falling short? Where are we not being intentional and thoughtful so that all of the fruit can give rise? And then we've got to pay attention day by day by day and all of the little things. And at every step along the way, we have to ask ourselves, are we becoming the kinds of people God has called us to be by their fruit you will recognize them let's pray together Father in Jesus Christ we see a picture of who you are of your true nature and character We also know that that's what you called us to be, which we recognize is an impossible task for us to accomplish by our own power. So Lord God, we ask right now, would you come, convict each one of us in this place today. If your seed is not in us, then may we in this moment yield to that and invite you to come and take up dwelling within us. And then enable us to examine our lives to give honest assessment of what kind of fruit we are bearing and whether or not we are showing forth to this world your character and your nature. Enable us to bear your fruit, O God. And we make this prayer in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. As I said a moment ago, the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost about salvation. It is first and foremost about whether or not Jesus is living in us. If you cannot honestly and truthfully say that that's true of you this morning, then now's the time to receive that gift. As we sing this closing hymn in a moment ago, I would invite you to come heed the Spirit's call, pulling you into that relationship with Him, and we will pray together as you begin that journey. If you need to make other responses to seek a church home, to connect with other believers, we would be glad to receive you in this moment. If there's anything else you need to share publicly, know that uh, I'll be here and glad to receive you. But all of us have some work we need to do right now to examine our lives, to see what kind of fruit we're truly bearing, whether or not when others look at us, they can see something of Jesus, or whether or not they only see the sinful nature in us. 
Let's pray that God will have his way with us as we worship him. Let's stand and sing together.